This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer, and welcome to episode 20 of Keep the Faith, my weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. Both Twitter and Facebook this week removed posts President Trump put on their platforms because, they said, he was breaking their rules by spreading false information about the coronavirus pandemic. At issue was a video clip he posted from a Fox News interview in which he said, quote, children are almost, and I would almost say definitely, but almost immune from this disease, unquote. What good pulling any Trump tweet is, I'm not sure, considering that the president has 83.6 million followers on Twitter, but that's not the point. His statement was false and was clearly meant as political. White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway admitted as much on Thursday, and it characterizes a presidential campaign that's becoming frighteningly negative and filled with outright lies on both sides. The presidential campaign is set to officially get underway later this month as the Democrats and Republicans hold their COVID-19-tempered nominating conventions, but it's actually been underway for months. In fact, this may end up being a record year for political advertising on all platforms, almost all of it negative or worse. In 2016, political ad spending hit the $4.2 billion mark. Estimates for this year, based on what's already been spent and what's been bought for the next two and a half months, is close to $7 billion. That's a 63% increase over 2016. My biggest concern, however, is the effect this kind of outrageous political discourse is having on our nation's children, in our own Jewish communities, and in the broader communities in which we live. The topic for this week, therefore, is what children learn from us and the dirty politics we help encourage, and what we need to do about it. As I said, the negative campaigning is on both sides. While I admit that there's almost nothing Democrats can say about President Trump that's not negative, some of the supporters of Joe Biden, or perhaps I should say some of those supporting Biden because they can't stand Trump, have been going lower than proper discourse would allow. Let me read to you the lead paragraphs from a recent USA Today article. Quote, Cities on fire, rioters clashing with baton-wielding cops. Bodies stacking up in makeshift graves. A trailer for the latest apocalyptic blockbuster? No, just some of the latest volleys on social media and television as the ad wars boil over between President Donald Trump, former Vice President Joe Biden, and their often deep-pocketed allies, unquote. Attack ads, the U.S. Today article continued, were, quote, traditionally reserved for the final weeks of a campaign, but the middle of summer has seen a barrage of aggressive ads, such as a Trump campaign TV ad painting Biden as a clueless puppet of the chaos-fomenting socialist left, or a viral video ad from the progressive group Really American, labeling the president's law and order agenda as Gestapo Trump, unquote. This kind of negative campaigning has become the norm. I remember only too well the 1964 Daisy commercial put on by Lyndon Johnson's campaign. I was 19 at the time and an LBJ supporter, but I was politically active. The commercial rang all kinds of alarm bells in my head. 
It showed a little girl picking petals off of a daisy while counting. Suddenly, a loud noise startles her, and the camera pulls up close to her right eye, and in it, we see a mushroom cloud that presumably just killed her and everyone else. The scare tactic ad successfully raised fears about Johnson's GOP challenger, Senator Barry Goldwater's willingness to use nuclear weapons. Johnson got 61% of the vote to Goldwater's 38.4%. The Electoral College was even more lopsided. Goldwater only received 52 votes out of 538. Then there was the infamous 1988 Willie Horton ad the George H.W. Bush campaign used to great effect in attacking Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis for being weak on crime. Bush won by an over 17% margin. It was the first time in 40 years that a political party won the White House three times in a row. That dirty campaigning has become a standard feature of our elections has had an impact all the way down the ladder to our children. Eleven years ago, a survey conducted by the Josephson Institute of Ethics found, among other things, that teenagers 17 or under are five times more likely than people over age 50 to believe that people need to lie and cheat in order to succeed. The numbers are 51% versus 10%. They're also nearly four times as likely to lie to their employers, 31% versus 8%, more than three times as likely to keep change mistakenly given to them, 49% versus 15%, and more than three times as likely to believe it's okay to lie to get a child into a better school. 38% versus 11%. A scandal that hit the front pages only last year, by the way. Young adults aged 18 to 24, meanwhile, are more than three times more likely to have inflated an insurance claim than people over age 40, and more than twice as likely to lie to their spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, or partner about something significant, 48% versus 18%. Interestingly, 83% of the students also said that their parents, quote, always want me to do the ethically right thing no matter what the cost, unquote. These numbers are scary enough, but they're believed to be much higher today, by the way. Other surveys, it must be noted, express doubt that parents are serving as good role models for their children. Of course, the students are telling the truth when they say their parents tell them to act ethically and morally. But the other surveys also are correct. The children hear what their parents say, but they also see what their parents do, suggesting to the children a double standard they're unwilling to accept. A 2017 study by the Center for Parenting Education had this to say, quote, Some parents behave badly, but expect perfect behavior from their children. Teaching one thing and doing another tells a child that you are insincere. It, in addition, makes your child believe that the things you request them to do are not important. By observing and imitating others, children learn ways of interacting socially. Children learn by copying what others do." Unquote. The list of potential parental bad behavior is endless, from inventing excuses for not doing something or going somewhere, to treating people, including family members, with disrespect, to imparting a win-at-all-costs philosophy to children involved in sports, 
to pushing one's way ahead of others in store lines or at bus stops, to disregarding traffic laws. Sadly, the Jewish community is no less immune to this double standard, although it should be. Derech Eretz, in the sense of common courtesy, at times seems to be a lost concept among too many in our own communities. Anyone who thinks otherwise needs to spend a half hour or so observing customer behavior on Thursdays or Fridays at food stores catering to Jewish clientele. Another place to observe would be a shopping mall on sales days, with people with big mezuzot or gaudy Jewish stars hanging from their necks behaving poorly. Such behavior is a chilul Hashem, a desecration of God's holy name. Plainly stated, to act improperly is to bring disgrace on Jews as a whole and on God himself, since bad behavior violates God's laws. That's why rabbinic literature is filled with exhortations to good conduct. Thus, for example, we're told of a favorite saying of the Talmudic sage Abaye, a person, quote, should always strive to be on the best terms with all men, including the non-Jew in the street, in order that he may be beloved above by God and well-liked below by people, unquote. We're also told in that same piece of Talmud, as I mentioned in my podcast about how words can kill, that the great sage Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai made certain always to greet others before they greeted him, quote, even a non-Jew in the street, unquote. All people deserve respect, no matter who they are. In another section of the Talmud, we're taught this, quote, at no time should a person allow a gross expression to leave his mouth. At all times, a person should speak in clean language, unquote. This desecration of God's holy name is compounded by the lessons children learn from such behavior. Their parents tell them one thing, but do another. Their parents appear successful, either despite the bad behavior or, at least in a child's eyes, because of it. How their parents behave, rather than how parents tell their children to behave, must actually be the correct way. The greatest Chilul Hashem, of course, is in what this behavior says to the children about Jewish law. It's a joke, not to be taken seriously. Outward displays of piety are considered sufficient substitutes for true observance. But even if the parents do act honorably, the children see other adults acting quite differently, and usually to the great advantage of those adults. This is most evident to them in the political arena. Lie better than your opponent, and you end up winning. Why does bad behavior exist in the general society, and how should we respond to it? Regarding the second part of that question, obviously, we need to begin in our own communities by putting derecheretz, proper behavior, back on top of the Jewish agenda, in the community, and at home. We also need to stop sending contradictory messages to our children about what's right. That's because the answer to the first part of the question is that we, in the Jewish community and in the broader general one, allowed it to happen. We reward bad behavior by watching television programs that celebrate morally ambiguous characters. We purchase products that are vulgarly promoted. We give high ratings to trash talk radio. We salivate over every scandal. We grant hero and celebrity status to people who are rude, crude, and abusive, and sometimes a lot worse. Most important, though, we reward politicians who distort the truth by making them our leaders. Our leaders, after all, are supposed to set the moral tone of society, 
just as it's the parents who must set the tone for their families. But we've proven by our votes that there's no benefit to leaders being ethical and moral. Judaism has always placed high standards on its leaders. Jewish law requires that communal leaders must be above reproach, should put communal concerns ahead of their own, should not let their posts go to their heads, and should respect the people they lead. To put it even simpler, quote, the true leader of a generation must be holy, unquote. That's how the late 18th, early 19th century enigmatic Hasidic master Rav Nachman of Bratislav put it. It's a tall order, and not one that's easily filled. In our general society, clearly, we've ceased even to try to fill it. How else can we explain the current state of the presidential campaign, which is turning out to be the most vicious and dirtiest campaign in recent history? This is bad enough, but what's coming from the camp of the incumbent president, the current leader, one of whose jobs is to set the moral and ethical tone for society, is far worse. In fact, Nearly all of President Trump's advertising, public relations, social media campaign has been negative and often filled with the most blatant falsehoods. According to a Washington Post tally, since taking office on January 20, 2017, until just under a month ago on July 9th, Trump has told over 20,000 provable lies. Provable lies. The Post not only monitors these lies, it provides supporting evidence to demonstrate just how false his statements are. The fact is, the Trump administration has turned twisting the truth into an art form, and his advertising reflects that. Take the latest nonsense about children being almost immune to COVID-19, something every health professional involved in battling the disease says is a huge and demonstrable falsehood. The chorus of complaints from the health professionals after Trump's Fox News interview is what caused Facebook and Twitter to react. How did the White House respond? Everyone else is lying. Trump is the only one telling the truth. Here's what Trump's deputy press secretary, Courtney Perella, said after the complaints began to pour in. Quote, the president was stating a fact, unquote. And this was just, quote, Another day, another display of Silicon Valley's flagrant bias against this president, unquote. Never mind that the complaints were coming from health professionals. Blame it on Twitter and Facebook. In her Fox News interview the next day, Kellyanne Conway went further than even Perella dared. People, she said, including health professionals, should be listening to the president when he talks about COVID-19. Among other absurdities beyond COVID-19 nonsense, the Trump campaign ads warned that Biden's election would launch an era of anarchy, lawlessness, and disorder, that Biden is mentally unfit, that the 77-year-old Biden is too old for the job, a joke coming from our 74-year-old president. In a tweet, Trump actually said Biden was, quote, a low IQ person, unquote, Another joke coming from a man who finds reading his daily briefing books too complicated. On the other side, a group of rebel Republicans supporting Biden, the Lincoln Project, called Trump in one of its ads, quote, the most corrupt president in U.S. history, unquote. That commercial also said, quote, there's only one way to end the Trump crime spree, throw him and his crooks out of office, unquote. 
whether Trump and some of his crew are the most corrupt in U.S. history, is for the courts to decide. Such statements have no place in political discourse, yet there it is for all to see and hear. Is it any wonder that America's middle and high school students, the pool from which the next generation of leaders in all walks of American life will emerge, steal, cheat, and lie? Everything we adults do, from the way we drive our cars and shop in stores, to the way we choose the people we idolize, to the way we vote on election day or not vote, which is a form of voting and actually help put Trump in office, tells our children it's the American way. To the extent that we in the Jewish community emulate that behavior, we're telling our children that it's also the Jewish way. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer. I hope you come back for my next podcast, and I'd like to hear from you about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shammai.com S-H-A-M-M-A-I, www.shamai.org, and email me, please. We're taking next Friday off from the podcast. Episode 21 will appear in two weeks, barring any unfortunate circumstance that might require doing the podcast next week. Shabbat Shalom, stay healthy, and stay safe.